GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, Regina-based Farm Credit Canada has awarded $1.5 million to 85 community projects across Canada, including some in our listening area. We'll hear from the Manager of Community Investment, Carla Warnica, about that. Prices for feeder cattle during the past week were mostly mixed across Saskatchewan. Jace Fawson in the Livestock Branch of the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture will join us with the latest numbers. Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market. We'll hear that coming up on today's program. And the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan annual general meeting wrapped up in Saskatoon on Friday. APAS President Ian Boxall will join us. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio is looking to buy your canola. Call them today at 306-272-6284. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we're hearing about this big Colorado low moving up from the U.S. Uh, Will it affect much of our listening area? To an extent, yes, uh, but not to the extent that it's currently and over the next 24 to 48 hours affecting uh, a good portion of the central U.S. There are actually blizzard warnings in effect uh, for northeast Colorado up through uh, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, parts of Montana, uh, and then winter storm warning extending all the way to the border. But the warnings don't just stop at the border because... The U.S. doesn't issue warnings north of the border. Environment Canada isn't either because the storm is stopping right at the border. It's uh, primarily centered around this low right now. The low is pushing out of Colorado. It's moving across Nebraska right now. Rain showers feeding out ahead of it. It was a uh, small severe weather outbreak through Texas this morning, uh, but just indicating how strong that part of the system is. Feeding rain all the way through toward the Great Lakes, and then you get up to uh, the Dakotas, to Minnesota, and it's snow. The front itself extends straight northward through western Manitoba, right uh, through that province, and all the way, it, it keeps going. It, it probably stops in the Arctic somewhere. But the moisture isn't feeding on the front. It's really wrapping around the center of the low. So with that low staying off to the south, we stay right on the fringes of this system. The problem is that is not the only system in play. If it was, it would probably meander to the Great Lakes and strengthen there. Secondary low is developing uh, by tonight down around uh, maybe Arkansas, maybe uh, into Louisiana, and then cuts northeastward, affecting more of the eastern U.S. That allows that secondary low to just kind of sit and do its thing right in place and even start feeding moisture back. And it's that back push, developing trough behind the storm that starts to focus some of that moisture back toward us, especially over Manitoba, but over time feeding uh, sort of a steady light snow across a good portion of eastern Saskatchewan as well. For now, it's flurries, not amounting to much, uh, maybe a centimeter or two from uh, from this afternoon through tonight. Tomorrow, another centimeter or two through the day, although the snow does start to become a little steadier by day's end. Temperature, not bad uh, for this time of year. We're up at minus six, staying above our normal high 
tonight, only backing down to around minus 9. And uh, not too terribly strong of a wind either. It's in the 10 to 20 range, wind chills in the minus teens. For tomorrow, some flurries again, steadier snow later on. The wind picks up just a bit, 1 to 2 daytime centimeters of snow, minus 7. It looks like our strongest push of snow is going to be tomorrow night. As that trough develops, it'll have its uh, maximum energy with it, a lot of instability, not only at the surface, but an upper-level low helping out. Briefly picking up our snow, mainly through the evening tomorrow night, uh, 3 to 6 centimeters likely for a good portion of, of eastern Saskatchewan. Not as much over western Manitoba. There will be some snow, but the heaviest accumulations tomorrow night, anyway, are on this side of the line. But that's really the only time we get into the steadier snow. It persists as that light snow over uh, western Manitoba, which means, all told, Areas on that side of the line will likely end up with the higher storm totals. We just pull ahead for a short time through the night Wednesday night. Temperature dropping off to minus 10 through the night. We don't move much at all on Thursday. Flurries will end uh, for eastern Saskatchewan. They'll ease up for western Manitoba. We'll drop slowly down through the minus teens. The wind up enough to drop the wind chill near minus 20. The storm itself pulls away, but there's a lot of lingering moisture, a lot of clouds, some flurries from time to time, so we'll keep that thread around. Not much more in the way of accumulating snow, but flurries and colder temperatures. Minus 14 Friday, minus 18 on Saturday, and it looks like into next week we could be in, into another one of those very cold Arctic patterns. Quieter weather, but some bitterly cold air settling in. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 7 degrees. Swan River and Roblin minus 5. Dauphin minus 3. Brandon minus 2. Show Lake Russell minus 4. Regina is at minus 11 degrees. Saskatoon minus 13. Hudson Bay minus 7. Broadview Mooseman minus 6. Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 10. The Yorkton-Melville region has very light snow, a northwest wind at 17 kilometers an hour, 91% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 7 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 14 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 3 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 5 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 11. The normal low is minus 21. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.46 this morning, and it will set at 4.43 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday... The Manitoba hotspot was Victoria Beach, which got up to plus 1 degree. The cold spot was Swan River at minus 12 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Island Falls, which got up to minus 2 degrees. The cold spot was Uranium City, which dropped down to minus 19 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Regina-based FCC has awarded $1.5 million to 85 community projects across Canada, including some in our listening area. The manager of community investment, Carla Warnica, says the funds are provided through the FCC AgriSpirit Fund. 
we contributed one and a half million dollars to 85 community projects across Canada. So, you know, rural Canadians are so passionate about enhancing their communities and the FCC Acre Spirit Fund is really our way of supporting those efforts. So every year, the FCC Acre Spirit Fund provides that one and a half million dollars to projects in rural and indigenous communities across the country. So registered charities, nonprofit groups, municipalities can get up to uh, $25,000 for their projects. She notes they've given some money to projects right here in Saskatchewan. We have. We had, a, had so many great ones, as usual. Uh, we did some, we supported some upgrades to community centres in towns including Margo, Mooseman, Gull Lake uh, and Abbey. We funded some community gardens in Outlook and Leask and also uh, ins- helped install LED lighting at the outdoor arena in Oslin. Warnica explains why they do this. This is really about our commitment to enriching communities in rural Canada. We have a lot of customers and employees living there. And, you know, we're really dedicated to the future of Canadian agriculture and food and supporting rural Canadians is really integral to that. As for the start of the next application period... We'll be open again in April of 2023. So if you have a a project that could qualify, you can go online at fccagrospiritfund.ca and you'll find examples of there'll be eligibility requirements, um, how you can apply online, past projects, that sort of thing. So registered charities, municipalities, First Nations and nonprofit organizations that are interested can go onto the website and take a look. Warnica says the Agrospirit Fund has been around for quite a few years now. We've been doing this for 19 years now. We're heading into our 20th year, so it's been quite some time. We have had supported a lot of projects, over 1,500 projects in that time for a total of over $19 million. And so they're all capital projects. We're looking to have the biggest impact we possibly can. So if you, your organization and a community, a smaller rural community in Saskatch- or in Canada has a project that, that would qualify, we encourage people to go online and take a look at fccacrespiritfund.ca and see if that's something we can support. Carla Warnica is the manager of community investment at Farm Credit Canada. As for projects in our listening area, the Fort Pelly Livingston Museum in Pelly is getting $10,000 to upgrade the museum furnaces. The Margot Community Recreation Board is receiving $12,000 to upgrade the community center's washroom facilities. The Society for the Preservation of the Mooseman Armory in Mooseman is getting $20,000 to install a new energy-efficient boiler system in the community center. And the Swan Valley School Division is receiving $25,000 to purchase a farm-to-school food system for the school and the community. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Researchers looking to solve problems ahead of time, including trying to find solutions to emerging pests or expanding markets both locally and globally, Doug Heath, the research manager for SAS Canola, says that right now, the 11 ongoing agriculture development fund projects range from disease resistance to abiotic stress of canola. When it comes to diseases, verticillium stripe is the latest challenge. Heath says SAS Canola is currently wrapping up several five-year projects focused on the disease. The disease caused serious yield loss in Manitoba this year, It's still relatively new in Saskatchewan, so it's good to have a slight jump on the disease. 
Heath says SAS Canola is preparing solutions for Saskatchewan's expanding canola crush capacity as well. Climate change is a hot topic of discussion to the chagrin of some industries and the excitement of innovators. Agriculture is an industry at the center of much of the climate action talk with an expectation to evolve and adapt. This year, agriculture in Saskatchewan was on stage at COP27, the United Nations Climate Change Summit, where organizations from around the world gather to discuss innovations and actions around climate change. Jason McNamee, a biogeologist, ecology expert, and the chief product officer for Lucent Biosciences, was on a panel representing the province, its ag innovation legacy, and what's next. McNamee says Saskatchewan agriculture has been on the forefront of innovation for a long time. He says innovation, especially on the part of agriculture and soil management, is part of Saskatchewan's heritage. On November 2nd, Alberta farmers who submit a levy to the Alberta Wheat Commission and the Alberta Barley Commission voted in favor of amalgamating the commissions. Tara Sawyer, the chair of Alberta Barley, says they would like everything done so that the new commission would start August 1st of 2023. As far as board members go, the new commission is going to consist of six wheat and six barley farmers from the two existing boards. An election for a fully new board is set to be held in the fall of next year. Seeing as the two groups already have a joint management strategy, Sawyer says she is confident the synergies the groups have, the same structure that has been in place since 2017, will stay the same. A majority of Canadians are confident in the country's agriculture industry. That's one of the key findings in Climate Field View's 2022 Perceptions of Canadian Agriculture Survey. The survey asked 1,528 Canadian adults who are members of the Angus Reid Forum, a group of individuals who participate in online surveys and questionnaires. Of the surveyed group, 4 in 5, or 80%, say they are confident in the farmer's ability to continue meeting domestic food demand. And Canadians are starting to understand the importance of agriculture. The survey posed questions about extreme weather events in the past year. More people, especially in areas that experienced adverse weather, view agriculture differently now. Stellantis is recalling about 1.4 million pickup trucks worldwide due to a tailgate issue. Almost a million and a half late model Ram pickups are being recalled because the tailgates may not close completely and the cargo could spill out onto the road. Ram 1500, 2500 and 3500 pickups from the 2019 through 2022 model years. Stellantis, the company we used to call Fiat Chrysler, says that striker plates on the pickups may not be lined up right to allow the tailgates to close completely. For now, it says make sure you secure the cargo in the beds. The company says it's not aware of any related crashes or injuries. I'm Rita Foley. And not every acre in a field is the same when it comes to profitability. Some areas have high earning potential, while other areas are riskier and possibly even costing money. 
As a wildlife biologist, those risky or unprofitable areas are what Mark McConnell is interested in. The Mississippi State University researcher made the trek to Saskatoon for the Canola Week 2022 conference, where he shared how he's researching the use of precision agriculture tools, mainly yield and profit maps, to help increase natural habitat area while also helping farmers boost profitability. The U.S., unlike Canada, pays farmers for setting aside land through the Conservation Reserve Program. McConnell is currently finishing up a research paper on a study that found 5 to 8% of an average farm would be more profitable under a conservation scenario. And that's the AgReview portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in 60 seconds time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. We've got some light snow and minus 7 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Prices for feeder cattle during the past week were mostly mixed across Saskatchewan. Jace Fawson in the livestock branch of the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture compiled the latest numbers on sales. Feeder steer prices were primarily higher across most weight categories over the week, except for the lightweight three to 400 pound steers. Average prices ranged from 314 per hundred weight to 227.88 per hundred weight. No price was realized for the 900 plus pound weight category. The only price decrease was 335 per hundred weight for the 300 to 400 pound steers. The remaining categories were up, ranging from 77 cents per hundred weight for the 5 to 600 pound steers to 671 per hundred weight in the higher 600 to 700 pound weight class. Average weekly price for feeder heifers were also mixed, but mostly lower compared to the previous week. Prices ranged from 237.88 for the 3 to 400 pound heifers to 201.50 for the 800 plus pound heifers. The largest price increase was seen in the 5 to 600 pound weight category, which increased 447 per hundred weight. And the largest price decline was seen in the 3 to 400 weight pound category, declining 733 per hundred weight compared to the previous week. He outlines the factors behind these changes. Feeder cattle markets seem to be more vulnerable to weather conditions this year. In addition, truck availability may factor into pricing. The feeder cattle market is demand-led, placing buyers in a difficult situation. When it comes to marketings... Canfax reported feeder cattle volumes at 18,567 head sold over the week, down just 1,921 head from the previous week. This is slightly below the 18,669 head marketed during the same week last year. Feeder cattle marketings year-to-date are 10% below 2021. And as for market-ready cattle prices... The Canfax price for Alberta fed steers on December 9th was 185.53. This was up 245 per hundredweight compared to the previous week's price of 183.08. Alberta cow prices were down over the week. The price of D2 slaughter cows decreased 112 per hundredweight to average 82.08. And the price of D3 slaughter cows was down 337 per hundredweight to average 70.33. Jace Fawson compiled this past week's cattle market report for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. 
It's time now for the livestock market conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 156.42. That's up 32. April live cattle trading at 160 even, up 10. January feeder cattle trading at 184.20. That's up 55. March feeder cattle trading at 185.70, up 47. February lean hogs trading at 85.60, up 190. April lean hogs trading at 91.90, up 125. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. We received the December USDA WASTE reports last Friday. We think the December WASTE really had no significant changes, so ultimately it's a non-market factor. But to elaborate a little bit, a little bit on the detail. USDA did not change its 22-23 outlook of the U.S. wheat S&D. USDA estimated a slight increase in export volume for hard red spring and soft white wheat, but that was offset by a reduction in expected soft red winter exports. So no real change here. For global wheat, USDA reduced their 22-23 supply estimate, and here the big surprise was that Russia remained at 91 million tons production and Argentine wheat production was lowered by 3 million tons to 12.5 million. But USA also estimated a reduction in global disappearance due to lower feed and residual use in the EU and in the Ukraine. So projected 22-23 global ending stocks were lowered by half a million tons to 267.3 million. This is only slightly less than the estimate of 267.5 in July 22. This was the lowest ending stock estimate since 2016-17. U.S. and EU wheat futures interpreted the USDA report as slightly negative, but there really was no big surprise in the numbers in the report. In terms of cash markets last week, there was not near as much action as the prior week. We are moving towards the Christmas and New Year's holiday period, which tends to be very quiet. Egypt and the agency GASC continue to buy volume Russian wheat in private deals, and the U.S. weekly wheat sales of 190,000 tons were disappointing and at the bottom of trade gases. So to continue by major wheat origin, starting with Canada. Managed money firms were selling short spring wheat through the week and expanded their net short by 1,619 contracts to 3,048 contracts as of December 6th. Regarding the Canadian export performance, Canadian wheat exports have been decent, though given the recovery in crop size this year, we would like to see more aggressiveness by exporters in the markets. Another 303,000 tons of wheat was exported in week 18 for a season total of 6.7 million tons. 
the average weekly export pays is 373,000, which is above the 340,000 per week needed to meet the agriculture and agri-food estimate for exports of 18.3 million tons. At the current pace, we would export 19.4 million of wheat, which is closer to our own estimate. But supplies could easily accommodate 20 and a half or 21 million tons of wheat exports. We think that cash prices in the Middle East will continue to be led by Russia and by developments in the Ukraine into the new year. Russian cash prices remain lower than those of other exporters, but hardware winter values are getting closer to trade. We would wait with new sales until the new year now. Regarding Durham, again, the StatScan production number for Durham of 5.4 million tons last week was smaller than expected. The trade was still looking for 5.9 million tons. Spot Durham bids have more or less remained even at 13.5 to 13.75 per bushel delivered elevator. However, we are moving into the holiday period and elevators do not want to carry extra inventory into the new year. Similarly, Durham prices posted in Italy, in Bologna, dropped by 5 euros per ton to 475 euros per ton last week. This market remains hard to read, but as we saw last year, once the US buyers backed off from the Canadian market, prices tend to take a step back on the Canadian side as well. We are a little bit concerned about this market and will keep an eye to getting more sold when the opportunity arises in the new year. Regarding the U.S., we already mentioned the USDA report. USDA did not change the 22-23 U.S. outlook for wheat. Um, there was only a slight increase in export volume for hardware spring and soft white wheat, which was offset by a reduction in software winter exports. USDA expects U.S. wheat futures to ease slightly. The global S&D, as projected by USDA Wasday, ended up with ending stocks that were lower by half a million tons at 267.3 million. This is only slightly less than the 267.5 million estimate in July 22, which was the lowest of its kind since 1617. Regarding new crop winter wheat, USDA still estimates that 73% of U.S. winter wheat production is within an area experiencing drought. In Australia, Abaris, that's the stats agency, forecasts a record Australian crop last week at 36.6 million tons. That's up 14% from the September forecast. To compare, last year's wheat crop was a record 36.3 million tons. Australian wheat futures were down by Australian dollars 20 per ton on the week. Regarding Argentina, the USDA lowered Argentine wheat exports by 3 million tons to 12.5 million and reduced, that was Argentine production, they lowered Argentine production by 3 million to 12.5 and reduced Argentine wheat exports to 7.5 million tons as well. This would be the lowest export level since 2014-15. Barge in Argentina estimated their wheat crop unchanged at 12.4 million tons, with harvest 42% complete against the 57% average. We note that company Stonex commented today that the drought situation in Argentina is similar to that in 2008-09, which was a big disaster. In the EU, Matip wheat was flat 
ahead of the USA report with cash premiums at or near record highs, but it closed slower as the USDA raised EU ending stocks by 1 million tons, despite raising exports by a similar amount. Black Sea wheat. Black Sea prices were largely unchanged. The USDA made no changes to crop estimates, but raised exports by 1 million tons for Russia and 1.5 million tons for the Ukraine. As mentioned, Egypt continues to buy volume Russian wheat in private deals. So black sea wheat remains hard to define, but they're clearly moving progressively higher as exhibited by the rising export tax calculation. Another issue that seems to be gaining increasing notice is the outright and open theft by Russia of grain that was produced in the Ukraine. Estimates of the dollar values involved are now as high as $2 billion, uh, which converts to maybe 6 million tons at current values. The BBC, amongst others, has shown satellite imagery, which is set to prove the accusations. This helps explain why Russia has been quite aggressive in pushing wheat into the markets. And the news were that, Ukraine, that the Ukrainian part of Odessa was not operating on Sunday after the latest attack on the region's energy system. The upshot is that the three Ukrainian ports that are allowed to ship per the export corridor agreement were without power over the weekend after continued Russian attacks on the power grid in Ukraine. Technically, Russia did not attack the ports, but only one is functioning well at the moment. Hopefully, at some time in the future, we will again be able to talk about wheat markets as opposed to politics. But for now, wheat still is one of the most, the world's most political commodities. So how will we summarize this week? Cash premiums in the Middle East continue to be led by Russia and developments in the Ukraine into the new year. Russian grain prices and cash prices remain lower than those of other exporters, but hardware winter values are getting closer to trade. We would wait with new sales until the new year now. That's Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Commodities Update, and that's a presentation of Hackman Feeds. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this afternoon. January canola trading at 8.76.30, up $3.60. March canola trading at 8.58.50, that's up $4.20. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.25 and a half, that's up nine and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 8.69 and three quarters up seven and a half cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 756 and a half, up one and three quarters of a cent. March corn trading at 655 per bushel, up one cent. January soybeans trading at 1479 per bushel, up 18 and a half cents. March oats trading at 341 and a half, up three quarters of a cent. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after these messages. Uh, Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. The Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan Annual General Meeting wrapped up in Saskatoon on Friday. 
APAS President Ian Boxall says rail service is one area that needs improvement. So we heard from some some reps and some members in the audience that communication between the railroads and and where they're dropping the cars, the elevators or the or the short lines is poor. And I didn't really wasn't totally happy with the answers that they gave to them. And I just got up and pointed out that in 2022, with the technology we have, communication should not be the downfall. So I hope they heard that, and I hope that in the future it's pretty easy to send a text from the people on the train or from somebody or an email nowadays to inform everyone of where their cars are at. But he says the railways are better now than they were two or three years ago. I, I think they have been. I think um, I just hope last year's drought and the smaller crop last year didn't give them bad habits that maybe will lead into this year when we have a bigger crop to move. So, you know, I think I'm optimistic that they can get it moved, but I want to wait and see what happens here over the next, you know, one or two months of winter and see if they can continue with the performance that they've showed so far this crop year. Boxall says heavy rains in Vancouver shouldn't have an impact on rail car unloads at the port terminals. Well, I think if the number one, if our number one port for export is in an area that gets extensive rainfall like Vancouver, it's probably time that they can load ships in the rain. So something needs to be done there to, to enable that so that that isn't the, you know, the hiccup within the system that really truly requires, like they mentioned, everything to work in a fashion so that it's efficient. But he understands that weather like rain or cold temperatures can have an impact on rail delivery. No, absolutely. And Mother Nature does affect all that. But if there are ways to alleviate some of those hiccups that Mother Nature throws at us, then let's look at it. And, and I, I don't know for sure if they've they looked extensively at the, you know, what could be done for loading ships in the rain. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I, I think it's time that we had some research done on it for sure. Boxall has concerns about CP Rail's HEP trains. Yeah, so it's only going to work truly where they have a loop track. So they, these new elevators that have gone up with loop tracks is the only place where those 8,500 foot, you know, HEP trains will work. I think it's great. I think it's efficient. It never needs to be backed up or unhooked, but it does. Uh, our infrastructure is not set up solely for HEP trains. So yes, that is one piece in the puzzle, but we still need to service the elevators across the province. He also notes that efforts to attract veterinarians to rural areas continues to be an issue. Yeah, no, I think, and that's exactly it. I think, you know, get a, vet, a large animal vet out in the rural area, and, and it would sure be great if we could get the cows to have their issues or the livestock to have the issues 9 to 5. That isn't reality. So those veterinary, veterinarians in a rural setting work extensive hours, and, and in, you know, and they run their business as the, as the clinic and, and all of that, and usually they need small animal or something else to, to absorb the cost when the cattle sector doesn't need them or the livestock sector doesn't need them. So there are some... There is some work to do to ensure that we have adequate vets across the province, large animal vets, to look after, uh, you know, our livestock sector. So I think there is some work to be done. It was great to hear the panelists. That I, I think there is some optimism that there has been some changes made, and I think, you know, groups like APAS and, and, the, and the cattle organizations, can, we can keep pushing this issue to come up with some more solutions. Boxall says the opportunity for older vets to mentor younger vets is running out. Yeah, you bet. So I think we have an opportunity here and there's, you know, the window shrinking. The time is shrinking where we can get, you know, some new young vets that, you know, have a desire to, to practice rurally in large animal that they can, you know, get mentored by, you know, some of the great vets we do have across the province. We need to ensure that we're getting those, the veterinarians out of the college. I'm happy to hear that there's, you know, been some additional seats opened up to Saskatchewan-based uh, students to apply for that. So, you know, I think that's that's a win for sure and we got to ensure that we get those people where they need to 
to be across the province. He believes that more veterinarians will need to move to cities like Yorkton so that they can live in an urban area but be able to service a large rural area. I think that's probably what's going to have to happen because, let's be honest, those people want the services that are in those bigger centres and their kids want the services that are in those bigger centres. So, you know, things have changed. People, you know, we want more in our day-to-day life and in our personal life than, than maybe what people wanted 40 years ago. So it's probably going to come down to where these bigger centres, you know, are going to Yorkton, PA, Tisdale, are going to service a huge area just because there isn't going to be that real true rural vet. Boxall says the Saskatchewan government has recognized that need with the way it's planning for vet services in the future. Yeah, I think they've qualified now for this some tax breaks and, and some stuff if they go to these centers that are servicing a huge rural area, which is, is great to see because the practice in that really truly small rural center is probably doesn't work nowadays like it did in the past. So they are going to have to go to a bigger center to get the vets. And we just need to ensure that we have the people in place and to do it. As for progress on getting grain companies to agree to standard grain contracts, Boxall says it's a slow process. I wouldn't use the word positive. <laughs> there has been some discussion, that it, and, it, and it really it hasn't. We haven't had great discussion with the elevators and, and the grain buyers on this. But, you know, there is precedent set in the agriculture industry on a standardized contract. If I go buy a tractor at New Holland or a tractor at John Deere, the contract, the sales contract's the same. So there has been a precedent set, and, and I don't think any producer ever wants a standardized contract so stringent that you can't negotiate on, on what you have to say. But I do believe, you know, APAS believes there are some some a- aspects of a contract that could be standardized and laid out there. And, and you know, we haven't, we need to keep working on this. It hasn't been as big issue this year because we had a good crop and everyone's fulfilled the contracts. But let's get something in place so the next time we do have an issue, the, the system's ready for it and, and producers are protected. Ian Boxall is the president of the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan. It's now 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Cloudy, winds north-northwest at 10 to 20 and a high of minus 6. For tonight, cloudy, a 30% chance of isolated flurries, winds north at 10 to 20, and a low of minus 9. For tomorrow, 1 to 2 centimeters of snow, winds north-northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 7. For tomorrow night, another 3 to 6 centimeters of snow, winds north-northwest at 15 to 25, a low of minus 10. For Thursday, a 60% chance of scattered flurries, winds north-northwest at 15 to 30, the temperature steady near minus 10. For Friday, a 50% chance of scattered flurries and a high of minus 14. And for Saturday, cloudy, a 40% chance of scattered flurries and a high of minus 18. In the Paw, it's minus 7 degrees, Swan River and Roblin minus 5, Dauphin minus 3, Brandon minus 2, Show Lake Russell minus 4. Regina is at minus 11, Saskatoon minus 13, Hudson Bay minus 7, Broadview Mooseman minus 6, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 10. 
The Yorkton-Melville region has some light snow, a northwest wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 91% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 7 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 14 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX 94.